My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Embers to Excellence. My goal is to explore the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. In addition to leadership, I like to discuss mental health, PTSD, and overcoming adversity. If you have a favorite episode, I would love to hear about it. Message me through social media or my website, and I will share some free tools to help you achieve your goals. Please like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you haven't purchased your copy of my book, Fireproof, please grab a copy today. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Doug Utberg. He is the founder and principal for Terminal Value Consulting, the host of the Terminal Value podcast. He began his 20 years of progressive leadership experience in corporate finance and technology. He attained a, ma uh, a Master of Business Administration, an MBA. Um, he served in the Marine Corps Reserve. And uh, he, he had this successful career in in the corporate world and you know when the when the pandemic uh hit all of us uh it uh it really led to a, a change uh for for Doug and uh, he started his podcast and his consulting firm and we're going to dig in uh, a little bit to that um but you know I want to want to welcome you to the show Doug and uh you know thank you for coming on man yeah, th thank you so much, Dave. And uh, what, when Dave says a change, what he uh, what he means by that is I got a half hour appointment on my calendar on a Monday with no subject. Uh, I, it came on my calendar about an hour before it was supposed to. I was supposed to attend, so I thought this looks odd, but okay. So I log uh, so I just log in, and then uh, you know our new chief information officer said, uh, "Well, due to ongoing cost uh, constraints, your position is being eliminated." HR comes on the phone, says, we're going to send the information for your severance package to your personal address. Uh, do you, if you have any questions, go ahead and reply. Five minutes later, my network access is cut off. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, th that's uh, that, you know, that's kind of the that's kind of the career life low point. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and the, the 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 from embers feels very uh, I, I I can relate with that. Um, <laughs> So then, you know, uh, going out of there, of course, I put in hundreds and hundreds of applications and got nothing because this is back when 40 million people were unemployed. Uh, and so, you know, what, what I ultimately ended up doing was I, uh, I ultimately said, OK, you know, I've always wanted to go down the entrepreneurial path, but I've been like, no, 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 the timing's not right. No, you know, I have a family and I have a corporate career. And I'm like, OK, you know, it's, it's time to just do it. And you know, the thing that at least that I've really found is that, you know, it's more important to decide that you're going to do something and go all in than it is to know exactly how you're going to do it. Because it's almost certain that the way you have it planned is not how it's going to go. So you're going to have to do a lot of pivoting around the way. It's way more important that you say, okay, whatever walls I've come up against, I'm going to figure out a way to either go above, you know, over it, under it, around it. Uh, versus if you're just kind of dabbling, then the first law you hit, you'd be like, all right, I, I'm out. That's <laughs> that's too much. I'm going back. Um, and, you know, and I think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a hard path, you know, but like the, the way that, uh, you know, kind of just for me, the, uh, the reason why uh, this kind of career path really resonates with me is that it's something that nobody else can fire me from, right? You know, and I decide when I'm done. Uh, and it's ideally something that I can, that I like doing and that I can continue doing for as long as I want to. 
Um, because the the thing that I kept yeah keep kept observing about the you know kind of your normal whether it's I mean yeah yeah I mean, fire is a similar type of thing you know although in a lot of fire departments you have a pension uh, but still it's based you know if you're in a corporate career path what you do is you know okay you know you go to school you know you you get your job you you work you progress you kind of keep going through and then at some point the road ends. Um, and then, you know, if the road ends nicely, you might, you know, retire, get a package, get a pension, whatever, or you just get dropped on the ground and you're, and you, you're, if you're over about 55 or so, you're going to have a really hard time getting another permanent position just because you're close enough to the end to where it's not ROI positive for a lot of people to bring you on board. And, you know, when I stopped and thought about that, I'm like, that's really not a great model. I mean, it, it has the benefit of a steady paycheck for as long as the steady paychecks last. But other than that, there's really not an awesome end game. You know, I don't know a whole lot of people who have retired out of that normal, that normal type of situation who have really enjoyed it as much as they thought they would. And because the, the reason why that happens, or at least my observation of the reason why that happens, is because you, in order to be successful, you have to work hard. And you have to focus and you have to make sacrifices. And by the time you do that for 40 years, you've given up a lot of other parts of your life. <laughs> and so that now when you when you say, all right, you're at the end of the sidewalk, go do whatever you want. It's like the only thing I've ever done is work. <laughs> this is what I've done. <laughs> and, you know, now, you know, now you have to try to figure out a new life's passion when you know you put pretty much every waking moment for four decades into work yeah yeah it it, it almost <laughs> sounds like you're you're advertising for tim ferris's book you know <laughs> <laughs> well it's so sorry it's, it's funny yeah i have a i have a love-hate relationship with tim and that's said tongue, tongue in cheek because he and i were both born the same year so uh, I've, I've subscribed and unsubscribed from his newsletter about 20 times because when i read about all the cool stuff that he does i get super and I'm like, oh, but he has so many good ideas. But then I get super jealous. And so, you know, I'm human just like everybody else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, um, so one thing that uh, I want to touch on, but we'll have to circle back to it because I, I want to yeah. set the stage. But I, I want to touch on those days that followed uh, yeah. your separation from your corporate career. Uh -huh. But let's let's go back to... Uh, where you were born and raised and and maybe sure. some of your early influences that um you know kind of you know inspired you to to follow the path that you did sure well so uh you know I, I grew up in Oregon I actually still live in Oregon and so for um the probably the easiest way to explain it is you know most people who have heard of the state of Oregon uh, know that the biggest city in Oregon is Portland. Uh, well, actually, a lot of people know about Portland now because of all the riots that happened <laughs> that happened in the last couple of years. So if you go a little ways to the east of Portland, there is a suburb called Gresham. That's where I grew up. Uh, it's a it was a blue collar town. Uh, you know, and, you know, my dad was. Um, I think my dad was the second oldest of four kids. My mom was the oldest of five kids. Um, you know, but my dad, he, uh, my dad was the Dave Ramsey program before there was a Dave Ramsey program. He was beans and rice, rice and beans about more or less everything. And they're still like that. Uh, <laughs> they live in a house that they bought in 1979 for, I think, $63,000. Uh, of course, it's paid off. Uh, carpet's original. <laughs> 
kitchen is original. <laughs> <laughs> if the appliances still work, they'd be original. <laughs> My dad does he does he does not spend a single nickel that he doesn't absolutely have to. Uh, I think the uh, gr growing up, I think it was we we had a we had a TV antenna that was in the garage. Uh, that, you know, I think that that got four channels and only about one to two were cleared at any given time. Um, I think the the first cell phone my parents had was on my plan and they're still on my plan to this day. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, it's, you know, and, and of course, right, you know, it's not that they, um, you know, it, it's not that they didn't love my sister and I, but it's just that we we grew up extremely frugally. Um, and, you know, because for my dad, that was his way, you know, that was the way that he felt like he could stay in control of his life because his story is he graduated from, uh, from undergraduate, from his, uh, from his undergraduate studies at Portland State University with a mechanical engineering degree in 1967. That was not the most amazing time to graduate from college because he was immediately drafted and shipped off to Vietnam. <laughs> and so... Three years later, he bounces out of the army and his degree is basically obsolete. So his options are either A, go back for about two more years of uh, undergraduate and try to get go, get back, get into an engineering firm and sort of kind of get back to where he should have been five years ago or kind of pivot. And, you know, what he ended up doing was, you know, taking a number of classes through the community college. And he ended up eventually at the um you know, at, at, at working for the city of Portland, uh, working on in their, you know, kind of finance and accounting department doing grants, which he's exceptionally detail oriented. So he was really good at it. Um, but of course, he's also exceptionally linear and uh, and literal. So uh, city politics were really not his thing. And so he eventually ended up moving out to the <laughs> to the to a treatment plant. Um, you know, which actually did have a uh, which had a silver lining because when he moved out of city hall and kind of out to, to the outskirts of the government, um, then he was able to have more flexibility in his work timing and he could come with me to Boy Scout camp. <laughs> well, and, and so was he like the, the troop leader? Uh, so he was the committee chair. My, my dad absolutely detests being up in front of people. He, you know, he will, you know, he, he will absolutely work like an Oompa Loompa, uh, you know, in the back channels, but he does not like being in front of people. Uh, so he was really involved in, and, you know, the Boy Scouts, I, so I was a Cub Scout and a Weeblo, and I, I never went on to become a Boy Scout, but, you know, it, it is an environment where you develop those, those good self-leadership mm -hmm. skills, um, <clears throat> and sense of community and all that. And, uh, having your father involved in that, I, and yeah, I'm, uh, my son's in Boy Scouts right now. And so, cause yeah, yeah, I, I earned my Eagle in 1992, uh, which I was just thinking, I'm like, wow, that was 30 years ago. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so my, my son's involved in, uh, in Boy Scouts now and, you know, it, it's a lot of fun to be able to do stuff with them and, you know, kind of go out. Of course, the, the way that it kind of works uh, a lot of times as an adult leader is, you know, I'm involved, I'm, I'm there with my son, but like whenever we go out to say summer camp or a camp out or something like that, he's usually off with his friends doing stuff. So I'm there, but it's not like I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm it's not like I'm tailing around with them everywhere. But, you know, the thing is, but when you're, but you know, with kids, right, it's, it makes a difference when they know their parents are there. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about, uh, you know, your, your years after high school, you know, where you went to college and, 
you know, maybe some of the the early life lessons. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah. So, so, yeah. So the now um, I, I describe my life as the uh, the, you know, the the Gen X. Uh, the, the Generation X Right Life Playbook, uh, the, the, meaning that you know when when I grew up, the the assumption was that there is a right way and a wrong way that you're supposed to do things, and the right way is you're supposed to go to school, study really hard, and then you're supposed to get good grades and go to and go to a good college, and then you're supposed to get a good job and you're supposed to advance. Then you're supposed to have a family, you're supposed to get a house. You're, you're all, you know, all of that, you know, kind of, you know, white picket fence, you know, American dream kind of stuff. Um, and that was what I did. You know, that's, you know, I did, you know, I just noticed the grindstone in high school. I did my undergrad at Portland State. I, you know, joined the Marines, you know, as an Eagle Scout. I think I did two mission trips uh, to Mexico with my youth group when I was in, uh, um, you know, when I was in church, you know, I was church council president uh, at our, uh, at our parish. I think right now I'm on the board of elders, uh, you know, then Toastmasters, Rotary, you know, I think you, uh, I did my, uh, got my MBA in 2004, I was at Intel for 18 years, you know, it was moving up there, I ended up moving over to Lattice Semiconductor for a couple of years until my separation, and right, you know, was, was doing that, uh, you know, was doing that go, go, climb the ladder, uh, kind of, you know, Gen X thing. I mean, it's not just Gen Xers, but you know, I, I, I feel like in the 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 Gen X, uh, you know, kind of uh, was sort of that nexus where that that social pressure I feel kind of hit its zenith, and then you know a lot you know kind of sort of starting with uh, the millennial generation, people are like, whoa, hey, <laughs> we're kind of kind of do this our own way. Um, us actors were not like that. It's like there is a right way and a wrong way to do this. Yeah. I mean, end up. Uh, you know, and just a little bit of a tangent, I'll say, uh, I think that is actually one of the things that I think is very healthy that some of the, you know, kind of the millennials, Gen Zers are developing is there is a much greater awareness of mental health and the importance of keeping everything in perspective. You know, the whole idea of balance and perspective is just completely out the window with my gen. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's just, you know, there's a, you know, there, you, know you just need to drive, achieve, go, um, you know, and just sort of ignore everything else. Um, that's not a recipe for, <laughs> for, for good mental health. You know, that's, you know, that, that's a recipe for, um, you know, for, you know, for, for depression, for, <laughs> you know, for PTSD, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for all kinds of things, you know, for self-medicating with alcohol, you know, and, and, and just, um, and, you know, so I think that's my really, really long way of saying that, um, that, you know, I, I, I was, I, my formative years were very much along the lines of a, you know, I need to go, I need to, you know, I, you know, there's, you know, I, I want to make my parents proud. I want to make the people that are working for me proud. It was a lot of, people pleasing, looking for external validation, trying to achieve that through, um, you know, trying to achieve that through, you know, doing really well in the career, kind of basically kind of checking all the boxes that I felt like I was supposed to check. And it's not that any of those are bad things, but if you're doing it because you think it's what, if you're doing it because it's what you think somebody else wants you to do, not because it's what you really want to do, I think it, you 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 will run into a cliff at some point and i think that's that 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 that, that was kind of the um the emotional psychological thing that i ran into was eventually i have to say okay well why have i been doing all of this for so long i just never really asked that question 
Um, and I, I think that there's an increasing number of people who are kind of saying, okay, you know, what is it that I really want my life to be like? And why have I been doing what I've been doing for as long as I have? Yeah, and, and so you essentially reached that point. Yes. Uh, I've, not, not all exactly. at once. It's been a couple of a couple of years. The cook time's been about a year or two. Uh, I didn't quite get there all at once. I'm sure. Um, um, I'm sure that if my wife described it, she would. Uh, you know, she would describe a series of um, of irrational. You know, of uh, of unexpected irrational decisions that, you know, the you know, half baked irrational decisions that kind of meandered from one way to from one place to another without a whole lot of explanation. Well, let's let's talk about the the days that followed. Yeah, that that last meeting that you had. Yes, and and maybe how you process processed that experience mm -hmm. and how you were able to to pivot and uh, come to the the conclusion that you needed to start. Yeah, your own consulting firm. Yeah. Well, so the, you know, of course, the first thing is, you know, I have to tell my wife and the situation we were in was that we had a, we were a single income household. So it was, you know, I, I had my job and then she was principally focused on, uh, on take, you know, on taking care of the kids and the family and the household. So where, where we stepped into was we don't have any income now, <laughs> which is, you know, not a recipe for uh, enjoyable conversations. Um, so, so the, you know, the initial, um, I guess you would call, uh, you know, shock and awe, traumatic stress, you know, that knock on effect lasted for a while, um, you know, and then I was like, okay, well, I just need to put my nose back to the grindstone, right, you know, because I'm a good Gen Xer. So I'm like, okay, well, if I hit a problem, I just work harder. So I go and I do a whole bunch of, uh, you know, a whole bunch of job applications, I either get ghosted or get a form rejection letter. So I'm like, okay, I just need to work harder at it. And then, you know, about the three or 400 mark, I'm like, okay, this isn't working. I've, I've got to do something different. Um, you know, and now deciding that I'm going to start my own thing is not like a, okay, hey, now, you know, now, now I've got a whole bunch of income coming in. It's a, okay, I have a thing I'm doing, but I still need to figure out some way that I can generate income in the short term while I'm trying to get this thing off the ground. Um, and so all in all, it ends up being more work. But um, you know, but I think that, you know, just sort of where, at least kind of where I was at was, I was just at a place where I was like, okay, you know, I, I can't unexperience what I just went through. And so, you know, at least it feels to me that if I'm not trying, if I'm not actively working to make something different, uh, kind of from here out, here on out, uh, it's really just a matter of time before the same kind of thing happens again. I mean, you know, I think that, you know, what, when you've never had a bad experience, you can fool yourself into thinking that it won't happen. Once you've gone through it, you're like, okay, these kinds of things do happen. A they, a, they happen and B, they can happen to me. So now I have to think, okay, what am I going to do about this? You know, uh, you know, just kind of, you know, uh, avoidance is no longer an option. Did you start the podcast before or after you started the doing consulting? Oh. Excellent question. So I sort right about the same time. And because my idea there was that I would, the podcast would be my primary means of business development. Now it turns out that that was a really bad assumption because it takes forever to get a podcast off the ground. 
Um, but it's, I think it's still, it ended up being what I would call a high quality mistake, um, you know, because I think, you know, in the kind of, you know, in the contemporary era, right, you know, having, you know, have, you know, uh, building and preserving an audience of people who identify with you is probably the most valuable business asset that exists. I um, mean, you know, because you know, if you think of pretty much, you know, just about any company, right, its value is in its customer base. You know, because like if you go to if you go to like, you know, any of the gurus, thought leaders, whatever, um, you know, the the moment one of them passes away, their estate will sell off all of their intellectual property for almost nothing. The reason being that that, you know, without an actively cultivated customer base, there's not a lot of value in the stuff. And so it's, you know, that, you know, and so what I would say from that is anybody who's listening, if you're contemplating starting a podcast or a YouTube channel or both, or, you know, building some kind of audience, start, just start. It will be a ton of work. You will see no return from it for a really, really long time. But if, you know, you know, if a career that is outside of the kind of normal, uh, what I would call it, um, you know, corporate pension mode. If that is where you are headed or where you want to head, uh, start now because it's probably the single best thing you can do. For for those listeners that maybe uh, haven't heard your podcast, okay. can you talk a little bit about what your podcast is about, the kind sure. of people that you interview, that sort of thing? Sure. So yeah, so so terminal value is really is based around uh, kind of a big question, and that big question is how do growth oriented people transform their business and life to world class. Uh, so when I initially started, it was just business, but then I had a little light bulb moment where I'm like, okay, well, if you just focus on business and you ignore the rest of your life, you're going to fall off the cliff. And so it's really business and life, meaning that you have to keep all of those pieces connected. Um, and so, so what I do is it's principally interviews, although I do a number of solo, uh, solo episodes as well. And, you know, I'm starting to work in kind of more vlog types of things, just basically talking through what I'm experiencing as, experiencing as I'm going through, um, you know, my, whatever you call it, I call it is whatever you say that I'm doing right now. Um, but, you know, what I do is I talk to a lot of thought leaders uh, and business leaders just about, about some piece of that either world-class achievement or transformation. Uh, because the idea being that if you listen to the show for long enough, you will absorb the tools that you need to do that for your own life. Where does the name Terminal Value come from? Ah, excellent question. So this is an homage back to my finance uh, finance nerd background. So when, uh, when people in finance are doing a discounted cash flow analysis, Usually what, what will happen is you'll be looking at, say, you know, a business investment or whatever, and you'll look at, say, five or 10 years or whatever of cash flows. And then, then what you do is you say, okay, based on that last year of cash flow, we think it's going to grow at X percent more or less indefinitely. And that amount, you call that the terminal value. And then, you know, in other words, you know, kind of whatever you think that long tail is, and then you discount that back. And so it's a little bit of a double entendre because... Of course, it's it comes from that discounted cash flow analysis, but almost every discounted <clears throat> cash flow is heavily dependent on those terminal value assumptions. And in a lot of cases, they're nonsense because nothing grows linear forever, even if it's just three or five percent, right? There's always volatility. So it's a little bit of an inside joke for big time finance nerds. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, and 
<clears throat> those uh, of you listening, uh, if you haven't already heard the interview that I did with Doug, uh, he interviewed me on his show, and and thank you, Doug, for having me on. It was a great yeah, thank you. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, and so it it just worked out really nice that uh, I was able to interview you and uh, just you know share and I yeah <clears throat> I really appreciate well I always appreciate having conversations with other podcasters because they tend to flow a, a little better mm -hmm. than than somebody that has never been on a podcast before you know yeah <clears throat> well and the thing that I really like about the podcast medium and I think it's actually even moving more there now but is that podcasting tends to be very authentic uh, you know because a traditional media of course is you know very scripted very rehearsed you know if you put on Fox or CNN or whoever uh, you know there's they're, they're they're reading off a teleprompter right there's a okay you know you have 45 seconds for this cut uh, you know it's scripted out uh, podcasts well some are scripted but most usually aren't and I think that's where you get more authentic conversations because you know, I think there's a there's a big sort of vacuum in the market right now for uh, people who are real. Um, and the other thing that I really like about podcasts is that a lot of podcasts are done by people who are just normal people. You know, it's you know, of course, NPR does their podcasts and Harvard Business Review does their podcasts, but the overwhelming majority are people who have an idea and they decide to go out and make a show. It is the real definition of creators. Uh, which I think there's real value in that, um, you know, because that's those are the places where you will find ideas that haven't been filtered through a corporate management committee. One thing that that we didn't really touch on, I mean, we we kind of just like brushed over it was mm -hmm. uh, your time in in the Marine Corps Reserves. And yeah, I, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience there, what you did, maybe some lessons learned from that perspective. Sure. So I joined the Marines uh, the summer after my first year in college, and you know because I think uh, you know the, the the recruiter got me all jacked up on you know raw Marine Corps dress blues you know all that kind of good stuff, um, and so the, uh, the the specialty that I was in was called uh, combat engineer, which basically means construction and explosives, uh, you know so you know if, if if anybody ever wants advice on you know how to blow something up, then I'm more than happy to talk with them, um, but um, uh, but at, at the time what I actually had planned on doing was I uh, I, I was actually at the time planning on going into the Marine Corps flight program. So I attended a cycle of officer candidate school in between my uh, second and third year of college. Um, but I, I ultimately opted out because flight has a 10-year commitment after flight school, which takes two years. So that means 12 years. So I wasn't deciding whether I wanted to fly. I was decide really deciding whether I wanted my, the next 20 years of my life to be in the Marines because, you know, the, the, the way that military, uh, the way that military retirement goes is that you become uh, pension eligible after 20 years. Well, if you've put in 12, you're kind of silly to not stick around for the last eight. So, you know, because like what a lot of people do is they'll do what they call the one and done. Uh, this is where you sign up for three years, you, you get the experience, you get it on your resume and then you're out, you go, you go and live a regular life. Um, you know, but signing up for 20 is a different level of commitment. And I, I, don't, I don't know if I was quite ready to do that yet. Um, you know, and of course, right, you know, I don't know, maybe it would have been, a, maybe that would have been the right call. I don't know. But <laughs> so uh, talk a, a little bit about that, that time frame in, yeah. in the United States when you when you signed up and went to school and all that. 
That, so yes, uh, so very, uh, uh, very, very astute point. So yeah, I started, uh, I, my, my listen started in 1997. I think it was like January 7th. Um, and, uh, so yeah, the, you know, that's when I, you know, went to recruit training, you know, kind of went to engineer school, did all that stuff. Uh, and of course there was this thing that happened, you know, just about four years after that called September 11th, uh, which incidentally, uh, September 11th was less than a month from my wedding. I, my wife and I were married on October 6th of 2001. Um, and so, you know, one of the first things that my wife said after they, um, you know, when, when we said, when we were seeing the news coverage was she turns to me and said, they better not send you anywhere until after the honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because of course, you know, September 11th happens and we all get noticed that says, okay, you know, don't leave town, make sure all of your gear is ready. You know, everybody needs to be deployment ready. Um, and, you know, oddly enough, uh, so my enlistment ended in December of 2002 and in January of 2003, everybody was stop lost and uh, shipped off to the Persian Gulf, because I think that's when, you know, that, you know, that's when Iraq round two happened. Yeah. Man. Crazy, isn't it? I know. It's just utter, complete, dumb luck timing. <laughs> <laughs> How about some of the lessons that you learned, uh, leadership lessons from mm -hmm. the Marine Corps? Sure. So I think the um, the the big big thing that that I took out of the Marine Corps is how important it is to just improvise and work with what you have um, because especially in the Marines they're the least well funded of all the branches of the military and it is not even close. <clears throat> so what that means is you know there are you, well. Marines are usually pretty good about maintaining the equipment, but nothing else is good. You know, you know, everything else is missing something. So you have to improvise for almost everything. You usually, you'll never have the supplies you need, never have the materials you need. You know, there, there will always be not enough of whatever you need. And so, you know, for me, the most important thing that I took out of it, um, you know, was really to say, okay, you know, if there's something you need to do, instead of saying, okay, well, I don't have what I need. Uh, I'm just going to wait. You say, okay, well, this is what we need to do. Let's just go figure it out. And, you know, I think that if you take that, you know, there's, if you take that attitude and apply it to literally every part of your life, then there's no stopping you. You know, now, of course, the thing is, you know, when I was young and I, uh, you know, I thought, okay, you know, we apply this to Marine missions, it, you know, and I got it. It's crossing that attitude into different domains of your life sometimes takes a little while. Um, you know, because, you know, that, that real, you know, that real, you know, you adapt, you know, improvise, overcome, and then, you know, basically saying, how can I get to where I need to go versus saying, Hey, it's just not going to work because it's, it's really, I mean, it's really easy to step back and say, it's not going to work. And it is a ton of mental effort to try to figure out how to improvise your way to a goal. Um, and I think that in, at least speaking for myself, that trying to put that kind of mental effort into every part of my life was something I was not capable of in my 20s. Yeah. What is next on the horizon for you? Are you dabbling in any other new ventures? Um, are you, do you have any new passions uh, mm -hmm. that you're working on? So I think that's a, that's a really good question. And I'm just going to take us on a little bit of a tangent, but I promise we'll get back to topic because I think what's next is something that you really always have to ask yourself, you know, because, you know, 
you because like for example you know there there may be something you're working on right now and it may you know you may get an offer you can't refuse and you decide to sell or something may happen and you end up needing to fold it up but if there's no next then whenever one of those two things happen you'll end up being at a loss and just kind of staring at the wall uh, so that's one of the things that i always try to think of is right you know what is that next thing that i want to pursue uh, and, you know, the other thing that I that I try to think about as well is that, you know, all of us who are in business, most of us are in business because we want to try to make money. Well, and the, but the thing that none of us think about is that, okay, w- once you do, you know, make, say, you know, whether it's thousand, hundred thousand, million, billion, whatever, you know, once you do make whatever amount of money you think you need, you will get to the point where you can address the problems that money solves but there are a whole bunch of other parts of life that money can't solve. And so to me, the what's next is really where you're figuring out what are those things that money can't solve and how do I want to address those? And the thing that uh, that really resonates with me or that I really keep thinking about is how do I, or how can I help the, you know, you know help assist or whatever, you know, the, the generations of younger folks who are coming up right now that really that 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 probably just don't really know how they're supposed to make their way in the world you know because if you're going into college it is a it's an extreme amount of cost to go through college you know if you're doing you know if you're doing four years at most state schools that's going to run you close to you're right around a hundred thousand if you're in state you know in state tuition you you know because like the way i did it i did two years of junior college and two years of state school so it ended up being a lot less expensive, but even so, you know, even if you cut all the corners, it's still a lot of money. And so you have those student loans to pay back. And now, you know, the amount of traditional corporate career path, you know, career jobs, those are going down. So those are less likely. So, you know, a lot of people are probably going to say, okay, well, maybe I'll be some kind of entrepreneur, but like, what does that mean? How do you do that? How do you learn about that? You know, I think those are... Uh, I think there's things that a lot of people have interest in, but it's really hard to, it's, well, it's not hard to acquire those skills if you know where to look. It's hard to know where to look without burning a lot of time and money. And so I think the, you know, the the next for me or where, where I'm really thinking about putting my mental energies in the future is trying to figure out how it can help, help close that gap. Because, you know, I, I really feel like the, um, you know, the, the entrepreneurs of the future are where the, you know, are, are where the great advances are going to come from. You know, it's, you know, it's not going to come from the monster corporations, you know, it won't come from Walmart or Procter and Gamble. Well, you know, they're trying to extend their current product lines. You know, the, the new ideas that will like literally change the world are going to come from someone you haven't heard of. And I, and I liked what you said about, you know, when you come to that realization that money can do a lot to solve certain yeah. problems. But when you realize that money doesn't solve everything for you. Yes. You know, where do you go from there? Correct. Correct. Um, yes. And <clears throat> well, you know, because of course, you know, a lot of us were, you know, what, what I got drilled into my head was you need to work really hard get a good job so you can, you know, so you can earn a really good income. And you just have this sort of inbuilt assumption that if you make enough money, everything will be fine. Well, if you make enough money, some things will be fine. 
um, you know, other things may not be. Because like, for example, one of the things at least that I've observed is that, um, you know, is that if you either, if you uh, attain either a high degree of wealth or income, one of the things that that does is that makes it very easy for you to engage in a whole lot of self-destructive activities. <laughs> you know, it kind of like, you know, say, you know, if you, if you sign a hundred million dollar contract uh, in the end with NBA, major league baseball, whatever. Okay. There is no limit to the amount of alcohol, cocaine, amphetamines, any other kind of stuff that you can, that you can consume because you know, you can just keep going like this and get more. It's got to be rough, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Well, and that's, I guess, you know, that's one of the things is that, you know, I, uh, you know, cause you know, like a lot of times I think it, you know, like I'll read about some, you know, ridiculous movie con movie deal contract or, you know, athlete contract. I'm like, Oh man, what, what, what would it be like to have all the, you know, for, have all those resources? I'm like, well, I don't know. There's not evidence that many of those people are all that much more happier than you or I are. Yeah. And so yeah. you know, there, there's not a lot of objective evidence of that. Yeah. True, man. Is there anything before we go, any last comments, uh, nuggets of wisdom that you'd like to share with the the audience? Maybe something that we didn't uh, touch on that you feel uh, we should? Well, I think the one of the things that we that we probably didn't spend as much time on as we'd originally planned was we didn't get into leadership quite as much. Um, and, you know, if I can just get a couple of minutes to stand on a soapbox there. Yeah, uh, no, the, absolutely. Yeah. So when it comes to leadership, you know, I would say leadership is probably the topic that I think is A, the most important for people in organizations and B, has the most BS out in the marketplace. Um, you know, because basically anybody who, you know, who has had some kind of success, more or less, you know, they can get published to write a book on leadership. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, what they're writing about has anything to do with real quality leadership, because le what leadership is really about, at least to me, is about getting people to buy into what you're doing and follow you because they want to. So if there is, if you need any kind of positional authority to get people to buy into what you're doing and follow you, you're not a leader. And when you look at it from that lens, it takes a much, much different spin, Right, you know, because what most people write about and talk about as leadership is really management. It's really figuring out, okay, well, how do you organize a group of people to be able to do certain tasks in a certain way at a certain consistency, you know, which is all authority based and that's management, which has its place. But leadership is about saying, okay, you know, how do I get people to buy into a cause, take action on their own, and then do something that they otherwise would not have wanted to, to move that cause forward within a company or like a fire department or something like that. That cause could be the excellence of your department, the excellence of your company or whatever, uh, you know, that cause could be, uh, so, you know, that cause could be for, uh, could be uh, protecting the environment. You know, there's all kinds of causes that those can go around, but leadership is really around about getting people inspired by, you know, by an idea and then, them taking action because they want to, to move that idea forward. And so I think that if people are going to take one idea for out of the, you know, the portfolio of, of nuggets that we've talked about today, it's really to um, think about leadership from the context of inspiring people to want to take action toward that vision. And so in that vein, what set of skills and behaviors establishes someone as 
you know, a, a great leader? Well, I think the, um, the, you know, empirically it's if people want to follow them, uh, the, um, the probably the best leading indicator is enthusiasm. Uh, you know, I think I can't take credit for this. I think it was Zig Ziglar who said that uh, sales is a transfer of enthusiasm from the salesperson to the prospect. And so if you think about leadership as selling ideas, what you are essentially doing is you you need to have you are exuding so much enthusiasm about a vision or an idea that it, that whoever you are interacting with, that they catch some of that are magnetized by it and want to move toward it. Well, you know, and that's and that's great uh, if it's a short-term interaction. But if you're talking yeah. about long-term interactions, that's hard to keep up for a long time, <laughs> right? So the 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 behaviors and and those characteristics of that individual, the the leader, yeah. In in your experience, mm-hmm. what are those traits that have inspired you? Mm-hmm. So the the things that uh, okay that's a really good question. So the the leaders that really inspire me and it's it's actually comparatively few because uh, when the the people that really inspire me is where I say I would want their whole life you know not just their income not just their job but like the whole life that they've created because a lot of people who I've known and observed who are in very high stations have some part of their life that's more or less a smoldering dumpster fire. Uh, usually it's around either their health relationships or both. Um, and so the, at least for me, the, the big thing is to make sure that you are keeping your whole life in context, which is make sure that you're addressing your own health, your physical health, your mental health, you know, uh, make sure that you're keeping, you know, that you're addressing your relationships. And, you know, but the way that I think about relationships is right, you know, they're, you know, either say, you know, there's your, your family relationships, your spouse, significant other. And then if you have kids, of course, it would be your kids. But if it's, you know, if you don't, even if you don't have kids yet, it's what are you doing to help the next generation come along and learn and develop and grow? And so I think that, you know, at least to me, the really effective leaders are the people who understand and address all of those pieces of their life, not just the job at hand or not just the thing they're doing. Because, you know, it's really easy. Well, it's not easy. It's easier to be good at one thing if you ignore everything else. It's a lot harder to put weight into all of the things that really matter. For me, hearing everything yeah. that you just said, to like maybe distill it a little bit, it's it's almost pretty, you know, pretty simple that the leader that you would most likely follow if given a choice of mm-hmm. many different leaders is an individual that you would want to emulate somebody that yes. is setting the example. And so the advice you would give to people that want to be a great leader is to be a great person, lead by example, be somebody yep. that you can be proud of being and that other people are looking at as the prime yep. example of someone they want to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, you, 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 you want to be the type of person that somebody else would want to emulate without having to fake it. And you may have to fake it a little bit at first, uh, but you know, <laughs> you, you, you want to get to where you don't have to fake it because that will get exhausting very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. 
Awesome, man. Well, so for, for those listening that want to yeah. check out your podcast or uh, want to learn more about you, maybe learn uh, uh, more about your consulting sure. business, uh, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Sure thing. So my website is terminalvalue.biz. Uh, that's probably the best place to find all my stuff. Uh, you're, if you're interested in just the audio podcast, that will be terminalvaluepodcast.com. Or uh, you can also, I, I have a simple link for my YouTube channel. Just go to terminalvaluevideo.com and, or search Terminal Value on YouTube, and that'll take you to the YouTube channel. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much, Doug, for for coming on and, and sharing with me and the audience. And uh, yeah. Just great conversation, man. It was awesome yeah. talking to you a couple months ago. Awesome talking to you today. So, all right. Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review.